Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Yeah, on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, I'm Rick Skeens, filling in for Tom Brown today. And today, we're going to talk about the Great Commission, what it is, what it looks like, and how to prepare for it. Um, a lot of times in Scripture, we see a, a prescription for what to do, but we also see a ways to prepare for the prescription, and it's through practice. So we're going to look at some Scripture today, so I hope you get a chance to, to hang out with us and maybe call in and join the conversation. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to talk about the Great Commission. First of all, what is the Great Commission? Um, it's a commission that was given to the disciples by the Lord Jesus before he ascended. It was kind of the focus on uh, why are we still here? Once we're saved, once God saves us, once he changes us, redeems us, forgives us, and cleanses us, um, why are we still left on this earth? Why don't we enter into presence with him right away? And it's real clear in Scripture that we are to make disciples um, by sharing the gospel. And a lot of times that uh, has been done wrong or it, it's uh, prescribed um, as more of a, a something we have to do. I'd like to really challenge that thought and look at it as something that is a privilege that we get to do. And I think once we wrap our minds around the difference between something that we have to do and and something that we get to do, I think that really changes our motivation. It changes our heart and, and really frees us up to be led by the Spirit and to let God move through us and see the boldness manifest itself in the ways that Scripture says that it's going to. I want to start with how did Jesus prepare for the Great Commission? And so in the first couple minutes, we're just going to talk about prayer. Uh, how was your prayer life? Um, I constantly examine myself often because if we, we see an example in Scripture that J Jesus gave us of a really dedicated prayer life. He spent um, any free time he had, he was almost sneaking away just so he could get with his father because he said several times, I only want to do what my father tells me to do. And the first Scripture I'm led to is, is in Mark 1, verse 35. And if you have your Bibles or you have a chance to grab your phone, or you're at your computer, um, follow along, look this up. I mean, as you see Scripture unfold in front of your eyes, that's where the real change comes from. Not through uh, just words that I share with you guys, or even truth that I share, but once you see it, and once you understand the source and the purpose of, and the meaning behind uh, what we're talking about, that's where life change comes in, because that's, that's really what the Lord is about. He's about life change. He's not about giving you do's and don'ts and giving you a list of things to accomplish, but it's the journey along the way that he wants to be with us um, as we follow him, as we make disciples, as we go. So prayer life is, is the first way to connect with the Lord on a level that is personal and intimate. And if it, if it doesn't start there, uh, then it's going to be in our own strength and we're going to burn out. And I know uh, many times in my life I've tried to be faithful to the Great Commission. I've tried to make disciples. I've tried to do ministry. Um, in, in my own strength or in um, w without being prayed up properly. So in Mark one thirty five, we see Jesus right in the beginning of his ministry. I mean, he's ramping up. There's people coming from all around the city wanting to see Jesus. Mirac miracles are happening. And, and, the high, and, and so there's a ton of ministry at, at need here. And it says that he uh, 
er, rising early in the morning, uh, Jesus, while it was still dark, he departed. He left all the disciples and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. What's interesting about that is that, that Simon and the disciples were running around looking for him. There was need. There was people in houses full of, of ministry opportunities. But without his prayer life, without his connection to the source and being connected to the vine, we have to remember that we're nothing. We are nothing in and of ourselves. That if we're not connected to the vine, um, we're, there's not going to be any fruit that's going to last. So I wanted to encourage us with that, that the first thing we do is that we make sure we're prayed up. So let's take a break and we're going to finish this conversation. And I want to thank you for listening to KPXQ 1360. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Rick Skeens filling in for Tom Brown today, and we're talking about the Great Commission. What is it? Uh, what? How do we prepare for it? What does it look like? And so I want to open up the phones as well also today if anybody has any uh, questions they'd like to ask or any comments or what I'd really love is any examples of what does the Great Commission look like in your life? How has the Lord opened opportunities for you to share the gospel to people in your life. Not necessarily, uh, you know, something that you formally uh, went to and, and, um, and went out, but just in the everyday life with people you're around all the time, what does it look like when you're intentional to make disciples? And so I'd like to give you the phone number. It's, it's 602-274-1360. It's 602-274-1360. You can call in, join the conversation. I'd love to hear um, how you have had a chance to share the gospel with somebody lately and, uh, and, and show it and tell us how did you prepare for that? Um, why weren't you scared? What helped you um, be more bold? Um, because those are things that we need to be practicing and get better at. And so that's what we're going to look at. How did Jesus do it? And then what would that look like in our life? Because it's, it is the Great Commission. It is what the Lord asked us to do. And here's the, here's the hard part. I want you to, to grab a seat, hold on to something. I'm going to say something that that might not be too exciting to hear, but we need to hear it, is that if we're not sharing the gospel or if we're not looking for opportunities to share the gospel, we are disobedient. We, I mean, it's a command. It is what the Lord wants of us. It pleases our Father to make disciples by sharing the gospel. And if we're not looking for opportunities to share the gospel, then we're being disobedient. We're distracted. We're quenching the Spirit. Or we're just flat out in sin. So we need to examine ourselves and figure out what is it? Why don't I feel like sharing the gospel? Why don't I even think about it? Why am I not practicing? Why am I not preparing? Why am I not praying about it? That's where it starts. We see Jesus praying to be faithful to his father. We see uh, Jesus praying for his disciples and saying, Lord, I gave them the truth. Uh, let them share the truth with others. We see Jesus setting aside time to pray for his mission so he would stay on mission and then he asks us to go out and make disciples and preach the gospel to all nations, to all, all people that we come in contact with. So why don't we do that? That's a great question to ask. We need to examine ourselves. We need to really dis to dissect our motivation. It has to be motivated by a love for the Lord. And that might be the reason why we don't do it, is we might not appreciate our salvation enough, or we might love things in the world more than we love the Lord. And those are very dangerous places to be. So we need to uh, take this serious. That's why I want to talk about this for the next couple of segments. 
And if you have any questions or you have concerns that uh, about you want to find out why don't you uh, share the gospel, what would help you, feel free to call in. We'd love to encourage you with Scripture. We're going to take everything straight to the Word, because I'm sure everybody's heard of how to share the gospel, why to share the gospel, where to share the gospel. But I want to look at some Scripture, because the Scripture was what needs to motivate us. Like, why do you share the gospel the way you do? Why do you build relationships with people the way you build them? Why do you make disciples the way you do it? I want it to come from Scripture. So we see, first of all, that Jesus was preparing for the commission by praying. He spent time with his father, and he taught his disciples to do the same thing. And so we're looking at Acts. Right after Jesus ascended, he gave the Great Commission. We're going to see how the disciples prepared for the Great Commission, because right now we're just looking at how to prepare for it. Then we're going to look at uh, how to practice. So we got we, we have the Great Commission that we need to prepare for, and then we need to practice. And then you're gonna, we're going to see the Lord do his work through us. He doesn't need us to do this, but he, he gives us the privilege of being a part of his work, of, of growing his church, and, and finding his lost sheep and feeding them. That's what he, Jesus says, that if you love me, you will feed my sheep. You'll feed him the gospel. We'll feed him the truth. That's what sets him free. So we see Jesus praying in Mark 135 as he began his ministry. There's tons of need. There's many of opportunities to help people, but first he took time to set aside to go pray in Mark 135. And then in Acts 4.29, we see the disciples, same thing. They are, people are being saved by the thousands. Miracles are happening. They get a chance to share the gospel. And they stop and they pray in Acts 4.29. It says, Father, look upon the threats of the people and grant to your servants, grant to us, uh, the power to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and you do the signs, and you do the work, give us the boldness to be faithful, to continue to speak. That's a prayer that they prayed often, all throughout Scripture. When's the last time we've prayed a prayer like that? When's the last time you've prayed for boldness to continue to speak when it's not comfortable? We also see in Colossians 4, 3 3 through 6, if you have a Bible, please turn there. Even if you have to open up a phone app, this is so powerful. If you see it for yourselves, don't just believe me. Don't just listen to me. I want you to see this, that the Great Commission starts with prayer and preparing our hearts. And once, once God has our hearts, he's going to open our mouth. You, you can't help it. Uh, in Colossians 4, Paul is writing to the Colossians church, and he is encouraging them to pray. Pray for him and his ministry. Pray for him to open his mouth. He says in verse 3, Pray for us that God may open a door for the word. So you see how God has to open the, open the doors for us to share? But how, when's the last time you prayed for God to open a door for you to share? Because I'm sure they're there all over the place. We're just not seeing them. So Paul's saying, pray that the Lord opens a door. Pray that I declare the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel. That Jesus satisfied the wrath that we deserve. So by grace, you can be saved through faith. It's not of work so that no one can boast. It's a free gift through repentance. So he's praying for boldness to declare that. And then he says in verse 4, pray that I make it clear. Don't dance around. Don't subtly interject something subtly about Jesus. Just make it gospel clear, right? We're sinners in front of a holy God. 
that unless we have a Savior, unless our sins are forgiven, unless the wrath of God is satisfied, we're in trouble. But, but there's good news. So let's make it clear. And in verse 4, he continues on, make it clear how I ought to speak. So again, we're praying that we open our mouths, not just with our lives. We have to obviously live the gospel out. That is, that is essential. You can never separate living the gospel and sharing the gospel. But have you prayed like Paul is asking us to pray that you will speak clearly the gospel to those as the Lord opens the door? And in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. When you're around them, be careful, right? We don't want to be of the world but we need to be with them so they can hear the gospel, not so that we can just become their friends. It says, I want to pray that we make the best use of the time. I make the most of every opportunity, the New American Standard says. So do you pray for that? Do you pray, Lord, I want to make the most of every opportunity today I have with a non-believer. I want your boldness to speak the gospel as you open the door. This is how Paul's praying. This is how the disciples were praying in Acts 4 for boldness when they just got... Uh, stone. They just got thrown in prison and prison, and then they got escaped by a miracle, and, and they prayed for boldness, and they went right back into the same city, and they preached some more. Why do they do that? Because they're prayed up. They're filled with the Spirit. They're, God's given them the boldness that He says will come when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in Acts 1.8. And then in verse 6, He says, let your speech always be gracious. So be full of grace. Be gentle. Be nice about it, but be faithful to the Scriptures. Be bold. Bold and humble are the two characteristics I pray for because those are not natural. Most of the time, if, you, if you're bold, sometimes you're not, you're not humble. Sometimes when I'm too humble or I, too gentle, I'm not bold. I compromise. So those are great compliments for characteristics to pray for, for manifestations of the Spirit, to be bold but yet humble and gentle. And so Paul's praying for that. He, and at the end, he says, be seasoned with salt so that you may have answers and you'll know how to answer people when they ask questions. And so we're, we're asked to engage people. So let's be prayed up. Let's take this serious. I mean, I, 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 I help a lot of my friends as I'm, tra- I'm training and coaching friends into, into being more confident with the gospel. As we start off with memorizing this prayer in Colossians 4, verse 3 through 6. Memorize it. There's seven things to pray for. Pray the Lord opens the door. Pray you speak clearly. Pray you walk in wisdom. Pray that you seize the moment. You make the most of every opportunity. Pray that you're gracious towards others, that you're seasoned with salt, and pray that you have answers from Scripture. So that's how Jesus was prepared for the mission, and that's how we are to be prepared for the mission. So now that we've talked about preparing for the mission, I want to transition into what Jesus says will empower us to go practice. So right after Jesus commissions them in, in uh, Matthew, at the end of Matthew, the end of Mark 16, Luke 24, those are all the same accounts descriptions of the Great Commission from three different perspectives. We have Matthew's perspective. It says, go out and, and, and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them and, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. So he says, go out and make disciples. He says, baptize them and teach them to obey. So we, have to, we can't forget that last part, teaching them to obey. And that includes repentance and practicing um, obedience. And then Mark takes it one step more specific. Mark says in in chapter 16, the Great Commission is go out and preach the gospel to all nations, right? Baptize them, teach them, um, and make disciples by preaching the gospel. But Luke, he goes one step um, more descriptive. He's a doctor. He's very analytical. He's very descriptive. 
And he says, more specific than preaching the gospel, he tells us to, what specifically to, to, to talk about, what topics to include. And he says in verse 47 of Luke 24, Jesus tells us, he says, and go and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name to all nations. Did you get that? Jesus says, proclaim a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A lot, many times I'll, I'm guilty. I've preached about repentance, but I didn't mention why, what to do. I've told people what scripture says to do in order to come to Christ and to cry out for mercy, and it's through repentance. But he says in Luke 24, 47, preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. So we see, we see some description here. We see some, some prescription as well. We see him describing what the commission is. What are we asked to do? What pleases our Father? What's the mission? So I don't know. We need to make sure we understand what the mission is. We want the mission to be clear. And the more clear the mission is, uh, the more clear the steps will be in order to prepare yourself. Because without preparation, we're in trouble. We cannot do this on our own. It's real clear. Jesus says, you're going to need me. I'm going to leave and I'm going to send you a helper. You're going to need this helper because the mission is so huge. The, 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 man, the labors are needed because the, the harvest is so plentiful. So let's make sure that we understand truly what is the Great Commission. And then we'll start to practice what Scripture says to practice. All right, are you following me? So we've got, uh, we've got a lot more to cover here in the next segment. But we're going to take a break for a few minutes, okay? So you're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Rick, filling in for Tom Tom Brown today, and we will be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360. I'm Rick Skeens, filling in for Tom Brown today, and we're going to keep talking about the Great Commission because it is great, and it is a commission we need to put those two together. A commission is something that we are privileged and entrusted to do. It's a command. It's a privilege. It's a promise. If, and that's what I want to focus on again is, is when we, the motivation for obedience, when, when we are, see it as a promise, when Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you a fisherman. We miss that a lot. It's a promise. He's not saying um, you have to start fishing for men. If you see the Great Commission as a command, as something you have to do, it's, it's, like say, it's like saying that Jesus says, follow me, you're going to have to go fish for men. That's not the point. We miss the point when we, when we miss the pronoun. Jesus says, I, and then he, the, the verb is will, make you a fisherman. That's exciting. It's something that God does. And so if we're not fishing for men, if we're not concerned about the Great Commission, that should concern us because God is not going to be slack. He is going to start what he finishes. So if he's not making you a fisherman, we need to examine why. Could be a couple reasons. Could be we're quenching the spirit, we're distracted, or it could be we're not following Jesus because it needs to be motivated by a love for the Lord. And if, and if there's never a concern, if you never think about sharing the gospel, if you never care about making disciples, have even practiced or prayed about it, that should concern us. That changed my life when I was challenged. Is if I really think I care about the lost, but I don't do I don't care about them enough to do anything, then I really don't care. And so if Jesus says, Come follow me, I will make you fishermen, 
And, and so if, if you're not made into a fisherman, then of course you're not going to like to fish for men. You're not going to enjoy sharing the gospel. You're not going to even care. Because if we're not made into a fisherman, then it's not going to happen. But when you're, when you're transformed from the inside, when your own salvation overwhelms you so much that it's a reality that consumes you, that you are so thankful for your own salvation and what Jesus has done for you, that reality changes you. It changes you into a fisherman. By nature, you will start to fish. You can't help it. A true fisherman at heart has a weekend open and there's a lake available with fish in it. He's going to fish. It doesn't, it doesn't, his, he's going to hang out with friends that fish. He's going to invite his friends to come with him. It's, it's, it's who he is. It's not something that he has to go do. So we need to make that, 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 that change in our hearts, that it's not something I have to do. It's who I am. And so that's why we need to pray. We've been talking about prayer, the prayers that Jesus prayed. When did he pray? Why did he pray? The disciples in Acts 4 praying for boldness, praying to go back into a city that just tried to kill him. Then we see Paul asking the Colossians to pray for him. Pray for the Lord to open the door. Pray for boldness that I'll declare the truth, that I'll make the most of every opportunity I have with a non-believer. How many opportunities have we had with non-believers that we never even thought about sharing the gospel? That's where the sin is. We don't have to share the gospel, but it needs to be the bent of our heart. It needs to be the focus of our life. We are designed to be fishermen, fishing for God's people, looking for his lost sheep. Aren't you thankful that somebody shared the gospel with you? That somebody was concerned about the mission for you and, and found you as a lost sheep? Man, I am so thankful. And that's what needs to motivate us. That, and so when we pray, we pray, Lord, make me into that fisherman. Give me that boldness that you say that will come upon me when the Holy Spirit, when I'm born again in Acts 1.8. We're promised that those are promises that when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive boldness and power to be my witness. And, and that looks like confidence. We are given, that's a gift, confidence with the gospel. So as we see this transition, um, we see Jesus giving the great commission in the, at the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, and at the end of Luke. Remember, the Luke is the most descriptive. He says, preach the gospel, uh, preach about repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then a few moments later in Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, Acts is just basically Luke, Luke 2. He, Luke continues to write, but now it's more about history about um, what happens, how the Lord uses the disciples after Jesus' leave. And in Acts 1.8, one of the last things he says is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Again, there's that verb, that small verb that we talked about when Jesus says, follow me, I will make you a fisherman. It's a promise. Acts 1.8 has the same verb. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all the ends of the earth. So those are promises. God promises to make you a fisherman. He promises to empower your fishing with the Holy Spirit. And then he promises that you will go fish, that you'll catch fish. So if we're not praying about it, we're not thinking about it, we don't desire it, and we don't practice, then it's either God's not faithful and he's a liar because he's saying, I will do these things. So if we're not doing it, then God's a liar or the Holy Spirit's not there or we're not following him. These are quotes from Spurgeon. These are hard to, that we're either the missionaries or we're the mission. So we need to let that sink in and let that drive us to our knees so that we will cry out for mercy and we'll, we'll move, remove the distraction so the Lord will do the heart work that is required to fulfill the Great Commission. This is an impossible mission, but when the Lord empowers it, it will go forward. 
His sheep will hear his voice and they will come. It's a promise. And it's a privilege to be a part of that. It is a huge privilege. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Right? We're following up on Jesus' words. I will make you a fisherman. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. So let's follow up on that. 2 Corinthians 5. Turn with me there, please. If you've got your app on your phone, open it up. Grab your Bible. This is a really popular verse. Acts, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Everybody knows that, right? We're, we're all made new. We're in Christ. That's all Christians. Remember what we're talking about? He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, if you follow me, I will. These are all referring to Christians. If you really are a follower of Christ, if you're in Christ, there are some changes that are going to be made because God's going to do it. There are some things that are going to happen. There are some manifestations. There is some evidence. There's marks of Christianity when God invades your life. So if we don't see those, if we don't see God's fruit producing in us, that's when we humble ourselves. That's when we cry out for mercy and we beg the Lord for boldness, for heart change, for motivation, pray for a reality of how great my own salvation is. Because when that happens, you won't, you won't be able to stop. You won't be able to stop sharing the gospel because it'll naturally come out because God is faithful. He will make you a fisherman. So in 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Did you ever know the next verse explains what the new things are? We've always stopped there. I did my whole life. But now I'm connecting verse 18 through 21. It's all about evangelism. It's all about sharing the gospel and the message of reconciliation that we share and the ministry that we've been entrusted with to make disciples, to be ambassadors for him, appealing and imploring people, begging them to come into God's kingdom. So we got to connect that, that anyone who's in Christ, that's one way we know for sure that all Christians are empowered and commanded to share the gospel. That you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The next verse says, all this is from God. Remember, God will make you a fisherman. He will change you. He will sanctify you. He will cleanse you. He will empower you. So verse 18 says, all this is from God through Christ who reconciled us to himself. So God did all the saving. God reconciled you to him. So that reality is what's going to motivate us to do the next verse. The next part of the verse says, he saved you and he gave you a ministry of reconciliation. And that's a big word, but reconciliation means you're going to go help other people be, for, be forgiven, be saved, be reconciled, be made right with God because they're not right with God. John 3.36 says God's wrath remains on them until they're reconciled. And so when you realize that that was you, you were under God's wrath until you were reconciled, that changes your perspective of the way you see the lost, that you don't want them to have to take the consequences of their sin. You want them to understand that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that they deserve. And so he, it says in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5 that he gave you that ministry. In other translations, said he entrusted with you. And actually, the next verse says he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So you see how those go together? If you have a ministry and you're not sharing the message, you're missing the point. It's, it's a, there's no power in it. It's just a shell. So let's connect the dots here that the Lord, God saved us. We're in Christ. We're a new creation. He's going to make us that fisherman. That's a new creation. That's what he's talking about. You're now made into a fisherman. He says, you follow me, I will make you into a, a new person. You're going to make you into a fisherman and you will fish. And then in Acts 1.8, I'm going to empower that fishing with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. Those are promises. And then he says, I'm going to 
I'm going to give you a ministry to reconcile others. It's a mission. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a mission, go out. And then he says, I'm going to entrust you the, the, the core. What makes all this work? What makes people reconciled to God? What makes them become ambassadors? How did God save us? And it's through the gospel. It says specifically at the end of verse 19 that God does not want to count, God is not counting their trespasses against them and entrusted to us. Entrusted is a, is a term of privilege of passing along. I'm, I'm, I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you out as a privilege. I'm picking you. You are uh, entrusted. Uh, it's, a, it's a really endearing term to, uh, to, to instill a sense of privilege. I'm entrusting to you a message of reconciliation. This is deep. So this is what Paul's praying about. This is what the disciples were praying about. This is, they believe this stuff. They really believe that we are entrusted with a message that reconciles people to God. Now, now relationships are great. You know, uh, methods are great. Forums, barbecues, it's all great. But without the message, we do that so that we have a chance to sit down with somebody and explain the gospel to them, answer their questions, let them know the truth of our of, of the consequences of our sin and that there's a way to be reconciled, that they can repent so that they can be forgiven and help people walk through, what does that look like? So we're entrusted with this message of reconciliation. And when we start to see it as something that we are privileged to be a part of, that we're entrusted with the gospel, that's what changes your perspective. That's what, that's what kills all the lies and all the excuses that come up is when you study the truth, when you really believe the truth the way Paul did. That's why Paul said, he, he was not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1.16. Why? The first part of the verse says, be, uh, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. So do we believe that? Do we believe the gospel is really what reconciles people to, to Christ in 2 Corinthians 5? Do we really believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe it? Romans 1.16. That's why Paul was not ashamed to share it, to speak it, to proclaim it. He heralded the gospel. We're even told to herald. That's, that's loudly proclaim it in public as a public crier. Now, it doesn't always have to look like that, but it's a hard issue. We need to be confident with the gospel because we know how powerful it is. And so if you realize you're entrusted with this powerful message of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, what he did for them, and the power that is in that, in receiving that message by faith, not anything that we do. So let's remember that we had to prepare for the Great Commission and one way to do that is keep listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Rick Skeens. We're filling in for Tom Brown today. And today we're talking about the Great Commission. What is it? How do you prepare for it? What does it look like? Because the Great Commission is a commission. What does that mean? And it is great. Do we realize how great it is? How great of a privilege it is? So we want to remind you guys, reminding myself, I practice rehearsing, do I really believe it? Do I believe it the way the disciples believed it? Do I understand what it really is? And we've been dissecting it. How does it look in our prayer life? Are we first praying for boldness? Are we praying for the Lord to open a door? Do we even care about uh, making disciples. Those are concerns that we need to be examining ourselves. And now we're to the point uh, we've talked about prayer and preparation. 
In this segment, we're going to talk about practice. What does it look like to practice the Great Commission? Because it's real clear in life. Everybody understands if you want to get good at something, you want to get good at a job, you get training, right? You start a new job and you want to be a good salesperson. You want to be a good uh, electrician, uh, plumber, whatever it is. You get training. You, you spend time with somebody who's better than you. You ask questions. You study. You want to be um, uh, a good baseball player. You, you swing the bat a lot. You, you, take, you practice many, many hours, many, many years before you get good at it. If you're not good at hitting curveballs, guess what you practice during the week? You practice hitting curveballs because you struck out. So why, do, why don't we take that and apply that common sense to our spiritual life? Like if we want to be good at sharing the gospel, we want to be good at fishing for men, we've got to practice. We've got to get some training, some coaching. And so that's, that, that's what... That's what it says in Scripture, that, that God gives evangelists to the church. They're not to be the ones to preach and to go out and evangelize. They're the ones, that the Bible says, is to train the body for the work of that ministry, to build people up to maturity, build their confidence, Paul says in Philippians 1, that his job was to increase confidence. He was more concerned about the confidence of other people getting more confident and more bold at sharing the gospel. And so I finally realized that after many years, that's my calling as an evangelist, is to help other people become more confident and more bold in proclaiming the truth and caring about people being saved and understanding what it looks like to make disciples biblically. So if that, that, that's a reality that changes our lives, that if, we're, if we want to get good at it, we practice. And so we've been looking at how the disciples, how Jesus prepared for the, the mission. Um, he prayed, he, he practiced, he took people with him, he modeled, he demonstrated it. And then... Um, he went out and practiced. So we're going to look at practically what did Jesus do? Okay, we, you, you, can, you can read all these books on how to make disciples, how to share the gospel. Let's look for, for a minute. What did Jesus do? And one of the things that we, we, get, we get at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry in Mark 1, and then also in John 17, right at the end of his ministry, he has no more public appearances until he's on the cross. We see him saying the same thing of why he came out. Uh, I, I mean, it took me years. I finally caught and put the two together. But in Mark 135 and, or 138, he says that he must go to the next town and preach the gospel, for that is why I came out. So at the very beginning of the ministry, Mark 1, it, starts, it says Jesus began his ministry, and he began preaching uh, and making disciples. And then he was asked to stay in one town. This was right when he prayed. He went up on the mountain. The disciples were looking for him. And he came back and they said, Jesus, there's plenty of people waiting for you at this house. There's a great ministry opportunity. And he prayed all night and the Lord told him to go to the next town and preach because there's more in that town. He says, this is quote, verse Mark 138, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So there's a little bit of an insight of, of the focus of Jesus. So sometimes we always get concentrated on one of his one of the ways he, he makes disciples, one of the, one of the ways that he, he applies some truth. But let's look at motivation. What's the bigger focus? What's he focused on? Because the Lord's going to direct us on, on how to make disciples, on who to share the gospel with, and what it sounds like. But we need to have that as a priority. Are our priorities the same as Christ? Because when our priorities get in line, right, the details will work themselves out naturally. That's God's job. But we need to submit ourselves and remove distractions and remove idols in our life that are not biblical, that are distracting us from, from keeping the mission a priority in our life, and then watch the Lord do the work. 
And so Jesus tells us here in Mark 138 that his focus, one of his priorities is to go out and share the gospel to the next town. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunity in this town. There is. But he was led by the Spirit. His father told him, go to the next town, because he says, that is why I came out, is to spread the news of the gospel everywhere. And then at the end of his life, we see Jesus standing before um, his disciples in private, and he's praying for them in John 17. And this, this caught my attention. It says, he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. So he's summarizing his whole three years of ministry. So in Mark 1.8 was the beginning, or Mark 1.38, he began his ministry by preaching and sharing the gospel and declaring truth. He says that's what he's coming to do. And then in John 17, he's finished his public ministry and he's just praying to the Father in front of the disciples. And he's saying, Father, I have accomplished all that you've gave me to do. It's, it's kind of confusing because he really hasn't gone to the cross. So really, the, his priority was to make disciples and share the gospel. And in order for that to in order for them to be uh, united with him and, and for all the, for the gospel to be completed, right, the, the cross had to happen. So it was, still, the, it was still required. It was still the purpose. It's, without his resurrection, it's all in vain. But for our good, uh, we had to hear about that. So anyway, in John 17, he's praying, I have glorified you in, my pre- in, in your presence that I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. So Jesus' priority was to make disciples. And then we go to verse six. He says, I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. This is key. When you realize that there are people in your life that are God's children, that are his people, that they're his sheep. And when they hear his voice through you sharing the gospel, they're going to come. We have that excuse that we think, oh, nobody wants to hear it. But if you read scripture and you really believe it, God has his people that need to hear the truth. And we just have to be the messengers. So Jesus is saying, I was faithful. I manifested your truth. I shared the gospel. I gave them the words you gave to me, he says. And in verse 8 of John 17, he says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to, come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you have sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. That's theology, guys, that changes, that, that erases all excuses, that all the lies go away when you believe that theology that God has his people and all he wants you to do is reach out and to look for open doors that he's opening and be bold and share the gospel because that's what people need to be saved, right? They don't need relationships. That doesn't save people. It helps and it might happen, but the main priority of Jesus here is to go out and share the gospel. And he says in John 17, I have completed it. And now that he's arrested in John 18, uh, he's standing before Pilate and, and he tells Pilate, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. So this is the third time now we see Jesus, big picture, what was the main priority that he was to accomplish while he was walking on this earth um, to demonstrate to us. He says, I have come to this world to bear witness to the truth. Again, that's consistent with everything he says. I'm out going out to preach the gospel. That's truth. The truth is what sets people free. He says, I have given them your truth and your word, and they have kept it in John 17. And now in John 18, he's telling Pilate the same thing. I was born uh, and, and brought to this earth for this purpose, that I bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Do we believe that? If we believe that, then we can't help but get it out, and we're going to see who is paying attention, who's listening, just like Paul did in, uh, in, in Acts when he witnessed to a, he went witnessing to a bunch of women next to a river, 
And the Bible says that God caused Lydia to pay attention to Paul. So Paul's intent and spiritual antennas are up. He notices this lady's paying attention. This lady's uh, being drawn in by the gospel. So he then builds a relationship with that lady. And she ends up helping him start the church and funding his entire ministry. But he was bold up front. He wasn't subtle. So we can't let, let our excuses, you know, and, and our feelings drive our mission. Let scripture do it. Jesus is saying, I was focused on the mission. I shared truth. That was the reason I came out. Now he commissions us to do the same thing. He says, share the gospel to all nations. Go out and, and talk about repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So if we see that Jesus really was focused on sharing the gospel, all throughout scripture, he tells the Pharisees, hey, I did all my teachings out in public. And, and some people said, you filled our streets with this, with this doctrine, with these teachings. So these guys, the disciples and Jesus were out in the streets, were out in public, were talking to people, meeting with groups, answering their questions, talking about spiritual things. So we, once we grasp that, that that is really the mission of Christ, that is our mission, and it's empowered by him, then we'll start realizing what are the excuses I have? Why am I not really obedient to scripture? Why is God not manifesting? Why is the power of the Holy Spirit really not giving me that boldness? What am I afraid of? And once we start di dissecting what the lies are, and we stop believing the lies, and we start understanding the truth, that's what changes us on the inside. Then we'll go out, and we'll, we'll engage the lost, because we really we really are relying on the power of the gospel. First uh, Corinthians 1.17 says that Paul said, I did not come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So his priority was in line with Christ. And Paul says to imitate him. So let's make sharing the gospel, making disciples our priority today. Start today. Pray about it. Prepare for it. And then go practice. And, and I, I'm, I'm available. I, I'm available to coach, to train to, um, to model, if, if you want to get better at sharing the gospel, submit yourself to a coach for training. It is just something that we should be focused on getting better at. And, and it's through practice. It's, it's real clear. You want to get good at something, you practice, you prepare, you train, you study. And you got to subject yourself to, to that training or that coaching. And, and, and Paul was real serious about that. He helped people build their confidence. Apollos was helped by Priscilla and Aquila how to, to take, you know, to hone his skills in and to be more and more biblical. And he became very bold and very encouraging for the saints. So I want this to be encouraging that we want to help, but you need to realize that you need the help, that there's a, it's a dangerous place to be when you can go a whole day, a whole week without ever thinking about sharing the gospel. You have no concern for making disciples. You have no plan. You don't pray for it. That should concern us. And, and that, that drives us to our knees. It drives us to see our need to be in prayer, to be in the word. And then the word will shape your thinking, not your feelings, not your emotions, not some bad experiences or some bad preachers. Okay? We're not talking about street preaching, turn or burn, condemning people to hell. We're talking about proclaiming a gospel bully. And it might look like loudly, but it might also look like engaging with people at the park or your coworkers, your neighbors. So, so reach out. Send us an email if you have any questions. You can reach me at RevivalArizona at Cox.net. It's all spelled out, one word, RevivalArizona at Cox.net. And I would love to give you some free resources, some free tracks, some books. Uh, come out witnessing with us for practice, uh, and, and we'll encourage you. So again, thank you for listening today. We're going to have one, take a small break. We'll come back for one more second segment. But um, 
But stick around for a few minutes, because right now you're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360, KPXQ, and I'm Rick Skeens filling in for Tom Brown today. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360, KPXQ. I'm Rick Skeens, been filling in for Tom Brown today, and we've been talking about the Great Commission last hour, and I just want to thank you for hanging in there and and I want to encourage you guys that the Great Commission is great. It is a commission, so let's take it serious. Let's uh, be concerned if we're not good at it. Let's subject ourselves to those God puts in our life, in our church, and the leadership to seek out help. Let's practice. That's the, that's the best way to get better. We see Jesus taking his disciples out with him, watching him first. And then in Luke 9, he sends them out two by two to go practice. They come back, they debrief. And then eventually he empowers them with the Spirit and he sends them out to the entire world. Um, so the Great Commission, what is it? Luke 24, 47. This is Luke's account of him quoting Jesus on what Jesus says the Great Commission is. He says in Luke 24, 47, he says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. And he tells them, but stay in the city, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's what happens in Acts. That's what he's talking about in Acts 1-8 as well. And that's what happens at Pentecost. He's saying, wait, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. He tells them in Acts 1-8 that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So let's take this serious, that our God's the, the priority of Christ was to make disciples. He says, my priority is to preach the gospel. My priority is to uh, declare truth to my people and they will come. So let's believe that. Let's believe that this great commission says, go preach about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because in Acts, Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, Acts 5.31, Acts 10.42, Acts 11.18, Acts 13.38. These are all examples of where we see the apostles preaching exactly what Jesus says to preach. Preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So all throughout Acts, that's why we see it is because it was prescribed. It was, they were commissioned to do that and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I uh, just thank you for listening. And if you, if you haven't prayed for boldness in a while, that's my first encouragement is pray Colossians, Colossians 4, 3 through 6. Pray for boldness and pray for God to open doors. Again, thank you for listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Rick Skeens. I've been filling in for Tom Brown today and we'll see you next time.